grown men in this church, members of this church, are fathers. Maybe fathers of our own children, grandfathers of our own grandchildren, but we're also fathers to the other children in this church and the, the, the grandchildren of the members of this church. It's a very, very important role. And it's unique to men, because men are unique, aren't they? Rebecca Fisher asked me a question during the week, and it, I thought to myself, I'm becoming my grandly. <laughs> she came into the house, and she said, Alan, that's a really nice aftershave. What is it? And I said, I don't know. Ask Jean. <laughs> and I remember my grandly was down visiting us, and my mom said, go and ask your granda how many sugars he takes in his tea. And I said, granda, how many sugars do you take? And he says, I don't know. Ask your granny Lee. So <laughs> we depend on our wives, don't we? Amen. So I actually preached this uh, sermon in 2006. I was just during the week looking for something to say, something relevant for men. And, and as I read over it, you know something? That's, this is more relevant today than it even was back in 2006. They wanted to change today. They wanted to make it gender neutral. And they didn't want to call it Father's Day because some people could be offended. And you know, God has given a role to men and women. And one of the most important roles, obviously the gospel, but one of the most important roles that God has ever given to men and women is to be a father and to be a mother. And as I've said, when you're in a church, you are a mother in Israel. Of all the children in this church are your children. And you have to be a spiritual mother to them. And fathers, you have to be a spiritual father to them. So we're going to read from Proverbs 4, a few verses, just 1 to 4. Hear, ye children, the instruction of a father, and attend to no understanding. For I give you good doctrine, forsake you not my law. For I was my father's son, tender and only beloved in the sight of my mother. He taught me also and said unto me, let thine heart retain my words, keep my commandments and live. And here we see God's servant reminding us of the importance of the advice and not just the advice, but the example set for him by his father. When I spoke of this in uh, 2006, I'd found a study and this camera in there he is. Cameron, this is an extra slide. If you go right to the very end, if you skip everywhere and go right to the end. There we go. So, as I said, in 2006, I found a study which said the average membership in the United States churches was 61% female and 39% male. And if you look today, it's what that shows us is the importance of a father coming to a church, the importance of a father's role in the lives of his children. Other reports tell us that in fellowship, 54% more women are involved in small groups than men. In discipleship, twice as many women are involved in discipleship relationships or programs. In Bible study, 57% more women attend Bible study or discipleship classes. In ministry, 56% more women are involved in leadership, not including the role of a pastor. 33% more women are involved in service, and 23% are more involved in financial giving. In evangelism, 29% more women share their faith. In worship, 39% more women have a devotional time 
16% more pray, 29% more attend church and read their Bible. There's a book by Dave Morrow. It says, Why Men Hate Go, he calls it Why Men Hate Going to Church. And he said, as you'll see from that graph, that when a mom comes to church, the, fo- the family follows, sat, well, he said, 17% of the time. But when the dad comes to church, the family follows 93% of the time. And that's the importance of a father's role in a family. In America, uh, and actually a similar thing happened in London, but the, the, the documentary I watched was an American one. And they were trying to find a reason why African-American young males were always getting, so more of them were getting into trouble. And so some of their daughters now in this age will live in. And all these people were coming on and it's their socioeconomic background and it's racism and it's that. And this counselor, an African-American himself, he just stood up and he said, no, it's not. Is the fault lies with their fathers. The fault lies with their fathers not being in the home. See, there's no example for them. No example for them to, do, to, to, to learn right from wrong. And sadly, amongst that community, and again, you can follow this up, there's statistics on it. A lot of the women, the majority of the women are on their own. Their husbands or their partners have left them to bring up the children on their own. And this counselor, this African-American counselor, he said the problem and the fault lies solely at the feet of the fathers. They have abandoned the role in the family. So we're going to ask this morning, have men today lost their calling? And I believe in the world they have. Because I've had the experience of dealing with young men in prison. And very few, in fact, only a handful out of all the young lads I work with actually had their father at home. And I'm talking about three or four, not even a handful. When we look at the natural world as an example, the importance of fathers, again, you can look this up. There's plenty of research on this. Young men without fathers are more likely to run away from home, more likely to be homeless, more likely to commit suicide, more likely to demonstrate behavioral disorders, more likely to drop out of school, more likely to abuse drugs and alcohol, and more likely to end up in jail. It's estimated that 70% of violent criminals grew up without a father in the home. 70% of violent criminals grew up without a father in the home. Now, I know there's circumstances uh, in society today where there's divorce and things and the father might not be there, but he's there for his children. That's the point. He might be living with them, but he's there for his children, as the mother is, uh, whatever the case may be. Another survey. Sorry, if you go right back there to start for me, camera. There we go. Another survey came to this conclusion. It said, their churches were filled with spiritually immature men because they were not fathering them. Yes, they were teaching them, but they weren't raising them to Christian maturity. And this is a, a report on a large American church. And they were saying that they, they weren't fathering them. They weren't teaching them. They weren't raising them to Christian maturity. And this is not a new problem for society today. Paul speaking to the church in Corinth, he said, I write not these things to shame you, but as my beloved sons, I warn you. 
For though you have 10,000 instructors in Christ, you have not many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul's warning, you have thousands of teachers. You have any amount of teachers. Surely that is a good thing. An important thing, teaching our people the word of God. And I don't believe Paul is attacking teaching or the need for teaching, but he's highlighting the need for guidance and discipline that a father can provide. The New Testament church made it abundantly clear that the men were to serve as spiritual fathers. Jesus, he was a spiritual father to his disciples. Paul, we know a mentor to Timothy and Titus and others, but the, the, the ones that are mentioned. He called them what? His sons. His sons, not because of his personal love for these young men, which he did have, but because he felt the need to guide them. He felt the need to discipline them. Read the epistles Paul wrote to them. They're full of guidance and standards of discipline. In 1 Corinthians 4, 16, Wherefore I beseech you, be ye followers of me. 1 Corinthians 11 and 1, Be ye followers of me, even as I also am of Christ. And we go to Philippians. He said, Brethren, be followers together of me, and mark them which walk, uh, sorry, mark them which walk so as ye have us for an example. 2 Thessalonians 3 and 9, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. Brethren and sisters, we are meant to be an example for the young. We're meant to teach them, yes, and we are blessed in this church with people who take the time to teach the young. But we have all to set an example for them. Boys imitate their fathers. Jesus showed this in John 5 and 19. He said, the son can do, <coughs> sorry, Jesus 5, 19. Then Jesus answered and said unto them, truly, truly, I say unto you, the son can do nothing of himself, but what he saith the father do. For whatsoever things, soever he doeth, these also doeth the sons likewise. You know, fathers, young men will one day be fathers themselves. And they following your example as a spiritual father. I worked with a young man in prison and his nickname was Psycho and he really, when this young lad lost the temper, I mean I wouldn't have liked to have been in his road. And after a while get, get talking to him, I found out what his problem was. He wanted his father to love him and that broke my heart. You know when you have a 20 year old sitting there crying and when you say to them, you know, you, you do this thing when you're counseling me, you say, okay, where would you like to be in five years? Where, you know, where would you like to be? What should, you know, and then you look together and you set goals and try and encourage. So I said, and what would you most like in life? And he says, I would love to hear my father tell me he loves me. And you know, just think of that kid. It just even <laughs> makes me emotional. And it makes me see the importance of the role of a father in a child's life. Because we as men and women are called to follow Jesus. He is our example, our leader, and we are to be an example and a leader to our children that they might follow us. I remember many, many years ago, I was an elder at the time, it wasn't a full-time ministry. And it was a family that came for a few weeks and we hadn't seen them for a while. 
And uh, I'd got talking to them when they're in church and Pastor McCulloch asked me what I mind going, seeing them, say they're okay. And so I went out to the house and said, we miss you, uh, is everything okay? And an actual father, of an eight-year-old and a 10-year-old, I can't remember, there was a son and a daughter who was 10, who was eight. But he actually looked me in the face and said, I can't get them to go out on a Sunday morning. I thought, what? The children don't want to go, so we're not going. You know, church, we've all been there. I have three daughters who still follow the Lord, but I'm telling you, when they were younger, it was getting into the car. Whether you like it or not, you're going to church. And that was the example, the importance of church and the importance of going to church. But I thought that was amazing. A 10-year-old or an 8-year-old telling their mom and dad what they are or what they're not going to do. Dear, help them when that child's older and a teenager. We have to set an example. Jesus personally discipled 12 men for the task ahead. We read of times when he took them aside and we don't hear everything that was spoken, but he was discipling them. He was teaching them. He took the time to sit down with these people and we need to take time to sit down with young men and young women and disciple them for the Lord. You know, there's many distractions in today's church, many demands, many temptations and they're bombarding our children. They're bombarding our children. You look at the news and what they're trying to bring into schools and it's unbelievable. And the children today need to hear from their parents and need to see the example of their parents and their parents' love for the Lord and love for the house of the Lord. We should be covering them with our love. Yes. We should be covering them with our guidance. But listen, church, at times we need to cover them with our discipline. And I'm not saying you go home and beat your children. Discipline comes in different ways. This, I feel, applies especially to new converts because many people today who come to church have never read a Bible, never had a Bible in their house. And that's a challenge to us because a lot of them have listened to the news, have seen social media, and their concept of Jesus and their concept of salvation has got nothing to do with what the Bible said. And yet we can't get the Bible out and shout at them and yell at them, you're wrong here. We've got to show them God's love. We've got to show them by example how to walk for the Lord. You know, how many natural fathers would actually leave a newborn baby to fend for itself? George Barna said that he found that a majority of people who made a first-time decision for Christ were no longer connected to the church within eight weeks. And if you go on and read what he said, it was because there was no guidance when they come in at first, I remember a lady doesn't come here and I came to this church and after a couple of weeks, she said to me, you know, brother, when I came here, people were coming over, were sitting down, talking to me, asking me if it was okay. And now, very few people come. So I said to her, how many people do you go over and sit beside? You see, she thought everybody had to come to her and I had to explain to her there's more new people in the church, like new babies in a family, and people are welcoming them. And you get to a stage where you have to be the welcomer, and you have to reach out. And there's people think, I sit in church and nobody comes near me. They're not very friendly in that church. 
Well, why don't you get up and go over and talk to someone? Might surprise you. They're a lot more friendly than you think. Bible reading is important. As a spiritual mother or father, do your children see you reading the Bible? Do they see you praying? Obeying God's commands are commendable. They'll make you spiritually pure. But even more, if you, uh, if you will make or become a spiritual father to those whom God has placed amongst us, that's more important. Your knowledge of the Bible is very important, particularly today, because they're trying to corrupt the Word of God. But what's more important is that when people come in here or when your children look at you, they see an example of a man or woman of God. And there's a very important point. No one is here by accident. God has brought us all together. And you know that person sitting on the other side of the church you're not too keen on? God put them here. You know, you're a peculiar people, you really are. But that's the word of God, by the way. It's not me calling you odd. God has brought us together. God wants you and I to be fitly framed together to form a holy habitation wherein he might dwell. And I have a responsibility to encourage unity, to discourage discord. Because I'm, if I'm encouraging discord and disunity, I'm not being a spiritual father. And I'm not being exa an example. I remember again, we were so blessed to have such godly men and I was on a visit with Pastor Connolly to a family and they were talking about, you know, their children, they don't like church, they hate church. And he says something to him and I thought, oof, <laughs> I couldn't have said that. And he says, what's your conversation over the dinner table? What's your conversation? Did you enjoy church? Did you enjoy the sermon? Did you even listen to the sermon? And you know something, you hit the nail on the head. And they, with, with respect, they did take what he said on board. But you go home and criticize church, how on earth do you expect your children to want to stay here? You know, people don't fail. I heard someone saying that they were failed by their father. You know, you need to look at it. It's not that maybe your father failed you. It's not that maybe your friend failed you. It means that maybe they just didn't do things the way you wanted it done. That doesn't mean they're a failure, especially in the house of God, because we're all led by God and not by men. And so we need to show by example our unity one with another. We need to realize that God has placed this, you and I, here in this place. Carol brought a lovely wee word on, on Wednesday evening about being planted. We're planted here together. And we're planted for a purpose. And my question is, let's search our hearts. Am I being a spiritual father? Or am I being a spiritual mother this morning? What is a spiritual parent? Let's put it that way. Ephesians 6 and 1. Excuse me, Ephesians 6 and 1. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and that thy mayest live long in the earth. And ye fathers, provoke not your children to wrath, but, but bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. 
bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. I worked with a guy, I would call him a church goer with respect. And <clears throat> I was telling him, I was actually complaining, you know, Tuesday night GB, Thursday night Jiu-Jitsu, another night here. And he told me football, piano lessons. And I said, I'm not involved in any organizations in church. Oh no, having time. So where was his priorities? It's good to, 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 to help your children and to learn music and to learn jiu-jitsu. But you know something? They need to be in the house of the Lord. That should be your priority. That's how you bring them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. Nurture means the whole training and education of children, which relates to the cultivation of mind, morals, and employs for this purpose commands, admon admonitions, reproof, and punishment. Admonition is exhortation, a message of warning or encouragement designed to motivate persons into action. We have an obligation to nurture the young of the flock and admonish them. Hebrews 12 and 9. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh which corrected us and we give them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjection unto the father of spirits and live? And live? You know the sad thing in society today, not in church, in society, there's no respect whatsoever for those in authority and for their fathers when you see some of the things that go on. Now, I'm not one of these ones that thinks you could beat children every day in the week. I think if you start when they're young, they learn when it's dad raises his voice or mom gives you that stir. I knew I was for it by her looks alone, my mom. And I knew, right, that's it, no further. Be quiet and hope that uh, she feels sorry for you. If we teach children to disrespect their father in, home, in the home, how on earth can we teach them to respect our heavenly father? How on earth can we do it? It's just not God's will that the hearts of the fathers and children should be apart. Malachi 4, God's servant speaks of this. He says, Behold, I send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord, and he shall turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the heart of the children to the fathers, lest I come and smite the earth with a curse. Look at society today. Spoke about how fathers aren't in the home. How there's no example for young people today in the home in the world. This is a sign of the coming of the Lord. And I believe that when the, before the Lord comes back, there'll be a revival and the hearts of the children will be restored to the fathers and the fathers to the children. Malachi's telling us this. Before Jesus' second coming, children and fathers will not have a relationship but be at odds one with another. Because children need an ongoing relationship with their father. Your child will have many teachers in life, but will only ever have one father. Leave them an impression, a godly impression. Let your lifestyle be their teacher. They learn how to deal with life, how to behave in relationships, how to respect other people, and most of all, how to honor the Lord. By following the example of their father, it is said that boys find their masculinity in their fathers. Dr. Larry Crabb stated that every man must release the masculine energy within him. Suppressing it leads to three outcomes. One, men feel powerless and become controlling. 
Two, men feel rage and become abusive. Three, men feel terror and become addicted. You know something that's only my opinion, I know. But I think young men miss out today. When I was young, you left school and you went and you done an apprenticeship and you worked with men. You had guys in the shipyard, you had guys in shorts. I went and I learned or did my apprenticeship as a plant engineer. But you know something? You had the guidance of men. Sometimes it wasn't good guidance, mind you. But you know something? I do think young lads miss out on that. Being with other men, hearing other men. And in fact, you learn to discern people. Because I knew that when I was doing my apprenticeship, the engineers that will teach you and the other engineers that would just sit and watch you work. And so you got to know the lazy ones and the hardworking ones. You got to know the, the good ones that would give you advice. And honestly, again, I know it's my opinion, but I feel young men miss out on that a lot today. Here's something which is controversial today, but it's the word of God. Fathers are not mothers. And with respect, mothers are not fathers. Some highfalutin fashion magazine has a photograph of a woman who claims to be a man and a man's pregnant. I mean, the church with respect, what nonsense. But this is what they're trying to teach the young. It's impossible for a man to get pregnant. Why can no one not just say it's impossible? And without getting into detail, she got pregnant apparently in the natural way. And so it wasn't a woman that got her pregnant. Fathers are not mothers. They're different. When you were young, did you ever fall and hurt your knee? My knees were always cut. I mean, we used to play in a playground that was concrete. There was no rubber that you could bounce off. There was no safety nets to catch you when you fell off the slide. So my knees were always cut. But I remember getting into mom and getting a hug, and I felt better. And my dad wasn't cruel. But I remember my dad looking at me one day and says, your knee's not bleeding away and play. Stop, well, he says, stop sitting there crying like a wee girl. <laughs> he wasn't bad Look at society. We're bringing up a generation with no character. When they do something wrong, we want to sit down and t- find out who, did, who harmed them, that they had to do this wrong. You know, we need to tell people, I need to tell our young, it's okay for someone to disagree with you. You know, I'm at a stage in life, if somebody disagrees with me, that's okay. I'm not offended, but don't you be offended if I disagree with you. But for a generation that you're not allowed to offend them, you're not allowed to disagree with them. And that's what we have allowed in society. And sadly, it's creeping into church life. There's believers leaving churches because someone offended them. Somebody, God forbid, disagreed with them. And in their eyes, somebody failed them. But you know something, whether it's a pastor, an elder, a department leader, if they're doing what God called them to do, then they'll do what God wants them to do. And if you feel they've failed you because they're following God, then you're the one that needs to pray. 
because someone doesn't do something the way you want it done doesn't mean they're wrong. They're seeking the face of the Lord and they're being led by the Lord. I want to assure you, I would rather offend men than offend God. Some give up on God or in ministries because somebody didn't see it their way. And so we've got to be an example to our children and have some backbone. This is what differentiates us from the world. No matter what comes against us, we just don't lose faith. We don't give up on God. As I said, don't make children believe that everyone's going to love them and no one will ever hurt them or disagree with them. Build them a character that they can face this. Look at them, tell them. Pick yourself up and get on and God will guide you. Think of what James told us. James 1 and 2. Brethren, count it all joy. We need to tell our children this. When you fall into various trials. We face trials. And as our children get older, the Lord tarries and they grow up and take up positions in this church, they're going to face trials. What example are we leaving them? Are we leaving them an example to get on with God? Fall, pick yourself up. You're bleeding that Jesus will tend your wounds. Because these trials, James says, the testing of your faith produces patience, but let patience have its perfect work that you may be perfect and complete and lack nothing. Teach them to hold their tongues. James 1, 19 and 20. Let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak and slow to wrath, for the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. The dramatist uh, Dennis Porter said, the trouble with words is that you do not know whose mouth they've been in. You know, children can be our teachers too. It's just driving uh, to grandson's home. And one of them said to me, Granda, is it wrong to say, oh my God? And I said, yes, you know, in the context you're using it, and then he said, well, then you're wrong, Granda. <laughs> what? He said, I've heard you say, oh, my Lord. And I thought, he's right. <laughs> so I'm telling him to do something that I'm, or not to do something that I'm doing. And it's funny, it just showed me how children watch you. Now, you may think that's trivial. Maybe it is, I don't know. But they hear what you say and they repeat what you say. He's, uh, Dennis uh, Porter is saying, Our words are never our own. They're influenced by significant people in our lives, namely our parents, teachers, peers, etc. So as I've said, how can we teach? We teach by example, church. Are you steadfast in your faith? Never let the world overcome you. That is the example that we want our young people to follow. And if a child does something wrong, You know, let's not sit them down and say, let's go back to the time you're in your mother's womb and the trauma of birth. Tell them you were wrong. What you did was wrong and you shouldn't do it again. We need to be honest with them. And if they have been wrong, then support them. You see, society today refuses to accept that human beings are innately sinful, greedy and selfish. I remember watching an experiment where they put two toddlers in a room full of toys 
and in under a minute they were fighting over the same toy. They're selfish, they're innately selfish children. So unless society teaches younger generations right from wrong, they will instinctively choose wrong. Even the little angels in your home. Let's teach them God's standards and let's not the secular world teach them their standards. Children don't need, with respect, to explore their sexuality. And this is what they're filling their minds with, particularly those coming into their teens and things. This is what they want to bring into our schools. And we need to teach them. The word of God is explicit, folks. Deuteronomy 22 and 5. The woman shall not wear that which pertaineth unto a man. Neither shall a man put on a woman's garment, for all that do so are an abomination unto the Lord thy God. The word English Bible translates that verse. A woman shall not wear man's clothing, neither shall a man put on woman's clothing, for whoever does these things is an abomination to Yahweh your God. And we need to read this right. I remember Lily McAllister way back in the early days of Churches of God. She told me she worked in a paper shop, can't remember the name of it, the soul paint and paper. And at times she had to go up a ladder. And the fashion back then, I think it was short skirts. And so she actually had to meet a committee. I just think somebody suggesting this today of the elders to get permission to wear trousers to work because some of the men said that men wear trousers. So apparently the late James Versailles says, Lily, show me your trousers. So she handed him the trousers she wanted to wear to work. And they were an elastic uh, waist. And I don't know what they're called. There was darts in them so that they would fit women or whatever they put them in for, I don't know. So James Versailles looked at all the men and said, who would wear these? Of course, they all went, no, no, no. And he says, go ahead, dear, put your trousers on. But you know, that's not what that verse is talking about, folks. What that verse is talking about is men who dress to become a woman. Women who dress to become a man. It happened back then. And it was an abomination back then. And it's an abomination to the Lord today. It's not a matter of a, a young girl wearing a pair of jeans that a young boy would wear. If she's putting them on to become a boy, then it's an abomination. Church, you can take a dog Put it in a stable, put a saddle on it, it'll be a dog. No matter what you put on it. And I'm sorry for, well, I'm not sorry, the word, it's natural science. A man is a man and a woman is a woman. And we should teach our children that it's an abomination for a man to dress as a woman. Remember what the Bible said about the last days good will be seen as evil. Evil will be seen as good. I'll, I'll come to a close, folks. Men do have a special calling from God. They're to bring up their children in the ways of God. And when God finds a man who is passionate for his purposes, trained in the word, filled with the spirit, humble before God, proven in battle and willing to serve, then God will use that man as an example to the young of the flock and that woman as an example to the young of the flock. And the young of the flock will see a good example to follow. Brethren, this morning, and again, I'm talking to everyone. God has called us for a unique 
mission and purpose in the world. He's called us to certainly preach the gospel. But he's also called us to help young Christians come into maturity. Come into a knowledge, greater knowledge of God. Come into a closer walk with God. And it's okay, church, bringing your Bible out and saying, well, no, this says this and this says that. It's your life they're going to read. If you're a person who refuses to get angry, if you're a person who refuses to gossip, if you're a person who refuses to, to, to help spread discord, that's the example that they should be following. That's the example they should be following. And so I do believe, well, I'll leave it there. But I do believe, folks, it's really important that we just examine ourselves before the Lord. Not just in our home. Am I being an example to my children, to my grandchildren? But in church, for the younger the generation. I'm not saying we should shout at them and tell them off every day if they ever make a mistake. We're not saying that. But sit them down and talk to them. Encourage them in the Lord. If they come to you with a bit of gossip, don't be slapping them in the head with your Bible. Sit them down and tell them why that's wrong. Talk to them. Share the love that God has put in your heart with them. Share the love that God has for you with them. He is your heavenly father. He loves you. That's the example we have to follow. I think it's biblical, folks. And I think it's a calling from God in these last days. When young people are hurting, I told you last week about, I think it's, I can't remember the exactly, but I think in North Belfast, there's at least two or three attempted or completed suicides. And that's just in a small part of our city. The young need spiritual fathers. And are we going to answer the call? Don't be solemn, folks. It's a great calling. <laughs> Let's stand in his presence. Let's ask the musicians to come back. And look, let's make it our prayer. Let's pray, Lord. Just open my eyes. Help me to be the man that you want me to be. It's a beautiful song. I want to be the man God wants me to be. The man that God wants you to be is a man who's an example of his love and his mercy. A man who walks in the ways of God. And I know God will bless you for it. Let's worship the Lord together.